Well, good morning again, and um, can we just say uh, appreciation to our worship team and our tech team that um, comes every Wednesday night and early Sunday morning to get ready to lead us in musical worship. Can we just say how much we appreciate them? We are grateful for you guys and leading us in new songs like that. Well, if you're a guest here today, thank you for being here with us. We've been going through this series through the Gospel of John where we're taking it a chapter at a time and talking about it. Today we're going to be in John chapter 6. So if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your, your way there. And if you missed last week, let me go ahead and just set the context for you so that we're kind of moving into today with a, just a, a foundation. So if you missed last week, what, we were, what happened last week was Jesus did this miracle where he fed somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So he used this miracle bread and made this amazing work happen in order to display who he was. And what we're going to see today is right out of that, Jesus is going to give this, this sermon about how he is the bread of life. I'm like, I think, I think Jesus was a little intentional here, right? I'm going to give them physical bread to eat, fill their stomachs, and then I'm going to show how I can fill their souls as well. So that's where we were, and that's where we're going today, looking at Jesus being the bread of life. So we'll pick up in verse 22, and we'll go through verse 40. This is what the word of the Lord says. On the next day... The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but as his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. That's the, what we would call the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread, fed the crowd. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples... They themselves got into the boats and went to Copernicum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you, and you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that in this passage, you offer life to all who would believe. It says you offer it to the world. So Lord, we ask today that you would spark in us a heart of belief in you. And at the same time, we ask that you would disturb us when with the abundance of the things that we possess, we have lost our hunger for the bread of life. Lord, forgive us if we've fallen into the sin of loving stuff that perishes and ceasing to dream of the beauty to come. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty in you today and love you far more than anything else. Now let me invite you in just a moment of silence to pray and ask that God would show you that he is the bread of life for your soul today and that he would speak to you through his word. Would you pray and ask him now? Would you also pray for me as we look at the longest chapter in the whole New Testament that we would be able to unpack this truth in a way that glorifies God and that changes our hearts. Would you just pray for me that I would serve you well through God's word today. Pray now. Lord Jesus, these words that we read were written so we may believe that you are the Christ and that in believing we would have life in your name. And so we pray for that today. We ask that you would help us to see, believe, and find life. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, we read um, this familiar passage for many of us that grew up in the church, but I think there's some humor in here that we might not always notice because we kind of read it so quickly. But if you think of the story last week of the feeding of the 5,000 and this week where Jesus is speaking on the bread of life, there's a um, divine hide and seek that's going on in this moment. So last week, what was funny is that Jesus and disciples are trying to get away for a little bit. We talked about how Jesus had a heaviness of heart and mind and a lot of things going on. And so they're trying to get away. And here comes the crowd to find Jesus, right? They're here to seek Jesus. And instead of running, Jesus is like, okay, you found me. And he sits down and he does this miracle. But then it tells us in, earlier in John chapter six, 6 that after Jesus did this miracle that he slips away. I don't know how that happened in the crowd, but he slips away and they lose him again. They're like, okay, where did Jesus go? Where, where, where is Jesus? We're trying to find him. He's gone again and Jesus is, is away. Well, they're like, well, we've looked everywhere around the mountainside. We can't find him, but we know that he's going to have to get into the boat to go to the other side at some point because that's where his disciples went. So what we're going to do, if the crowd says we're just going to post up here so we can seek Jesus before he gets in the boat to go to the other side. But Jesus, in his humor, is like, guys, you can wait there where the boats leave. I'm just gonna walk across the water and reach my disciples that way, right? So he walks across the water to get to the other side. Well, they hear news that Jesus is now on the other side and they're like, oh, touche, Jesus, well played. This hide to seek game, you made it to the other side. We don't know how. And so here the crowd comes after they've heard Jesus is on the other side and they walk up 
In verse 23, or sorry, 24, it says they're seeking Jesus. When they find him, they're like, okay, how in the world did you get here? When did you come to this side? Because we were waiting there, there was no boats, and then somehow now you're on the other side, right? And they're seeking Jesus in this moment. And Jesus cuts to the heart of what the moment is. You see, they come, and they're still playing that hide-and-seek game, and they're like, Jesus, how did you get here? And Jesus responds, and he says, hey, you're seeking me? In verse 26, you're seeking me. Not because you saw these signs that point to me as the savior and redeemer of the world. Instead, you're seeking me because you want your stomach filled again. You have this, this hunger in your stomach and you just want dinner and a show. That's what you're looking for. That's not even what, G, what they asked Jesus. They said, how did you get here? And Jesus' response is like, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. You're seeking me for the wrong reasons. And church family, what I want us to do is we unpack this passage. I want us to genuinely ask that question of our heart. Why are we seeking Jesus? Why are you seeking Jesus? I mean, Jesus looks at these people that are seeking him and you would think that seeking Jesus is a good thing, right? We'd probably say, hey, this person is seeking after Jesus. Let's pat them on the back. Well done. This is a good investment of your life. I'm glad you're doing this. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's not about just seeking me. It's about seeking me for the right motive and the right reason. You see, these people are seeking Jesus because they see Jesus as a means to their end, not as the end himself. That's the sin of their heart. They're looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, if you'll just give us what we want, and we want a full stomach again for free. If you can do just what you did the other day for free, that would be great, right? That's what they're wanting. They're looking at Jesus and they're trying to use Jesus for their means and their end. Instead of seeing Jesus for what he is, he is the end. He is the best gift. He is the greatest treasure. He is the one that satisfies. He is the one that we run to. We seek him for who he is. We seek Jesus to get Jesus not in order to use him as a means to our end. And Jesus challenges them here. He challenges them. Are you seeking me for the right reason? Now, we might look at this and, and we're, we're at, maybe we're asking that question. Okay, why am I seeking Jesus? I'm not seeking Jesus like these people. We can become really judgmental on these people. Like, psh, look at these people following after Jesus and searching after Jesus just to get a piece of bread. I'm not hovering around Jesus to get a piece of bread. Of course not. We got plenty of food, even in a time of shortage, right, as a nation, we still have plenty of food in our pantries to keep us chubby for another year, like we just do, right? And so we look at these people and we're like, we just judge them, like, I can't believe they're seeking Jesus for bread, like, I'm not a bunch of fools. But we can seek Jesus for false motives as well. Some of us are seeking after Jesus because we want Jesus to be our personal bouncer of our lives. We come to church, we pray, we read our Bible because we've built a pretty good kingdom for ourselves and we need somebody to protect our kingdom. I want my personal success, uh, my professional success to continue to thrive and so Jesus, I'll give you a little tip of the hat as long as you stand here and you guard and make sure nothing bad happens to all the things that are part of my kingdom. That's why I'll serve you for it. That's why I'm seeking you. Some of us will do that. We'll seek Jesus 
using him as a guard or a personal bouncer to keep out everything that's bad in our lives instead of looking to him as the ultimate treasure of our lives. We will. Now, those things that, that we're asking Jesus to protect aren't necessarily bad things. Being successful, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing if that's not your idol, right? Like we pray, God, let me be successful so I can use that for you. Like that's not a bad thing. But when we see that as the ends and Jesus as just the street that we use to get to that end, then it's a broken, a broken view. And some of us might say, well, I'm not looking for the professional side of things, uh, like my professional career and that Jesus would protect that. Man, I just, I, I come to church because I want Jesus. I'm seeking Jesus so he'll make my kids moral. If I can just have good moral kids, then like that's why I'm seeking Jesus. So I'm coming here and I'll give them church for an hour a week or maybe two hours a week. And hopefully those two hours will be able to work against the 70 hours of social media and culture that's being poured onto my kid's life. Those two hours will do that. So Jesus, I will seek you as long as you make my kids moral. Now, I, I hope that, that my kids choose what is right and reject what is evil. I, I hope so. But I think that Jesus has far greater plans for my kids' lives than, than I do. I believe Jesus would say, well, it's great if your kid's a moral kid, but you know what? I care about their holiness. I care about their holiness far more than that. You see, kids aren't a bad thing. They're a blessing from the Lord, right? But God's like, I've got a much, much greater plan. God's word talks about kids as an arrow in the hands of a warrior. What is that about? God views our kids like an arrow in the hands of a warrior that we would shoot into a dark culture that they would be a bright light for Jesus. That they would display his grace and his goodness to a lost and dying world. Jesus cares more about that than anything else. I mean, we should be praying, God, would you raise our kids up to go to neighborhoods and nations? Lord, would you use our kids to share the good news at their school? Would, would you use my kid to be a light at their school and campus for Jesus Christ? Would you use me to shoot them into the culture for your glory? I mean, it, it's not bad to say I want my kids to be good, but it's too small of a thing. God desires to do so much more than that. For others of us, we're like, Ryan, I'm not there yet. Like, I don't even have kids. That's not even on my radar. I don't have kids. I don't have grandkids. I'm just trying to find a spouse. And so we're seeking Jesus, hoping that he'll give us a spouse, right? So Jesus is just a Tinder app, a dating app, Christian Mingle, to find the spouse that we need. So Jesus, give me that because that's ultimately what I want. Now, God's word's clear too, that a spouse is a gift from the Lord, that that's a good thing. But when we're using Jesus to get to our end instead of his end, something's wrong. Something's broken there. And that's what Jesus is calling these people out. In this moment, he's saying, you're seeking me, but you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. There's something much, much greater that I want you to see and live for. See, Jesus does not condemn them for wanting bread. That's not why Jesus condemns them. Do you see what it says? He says in verse 26, truly, truly, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but you ate your fill of the loaves. And then verse 27, do not work for food that perishes. This temporary food, it's too small. But instead, look for something greater. Look for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This is what he's saying. It's not bad you're seeking food. God created us to eat food in order to show us our need for him, right? But he's like, don't aim so small, look bigger. 
I love how C.S. Lewis describes it. And I've shared this quote with you for several times because I love it so much. C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that our, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant to be offered a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What Lewis is saying here is basically just different words from what Christ is saying in this passage. Don't work for that food that perishes. Don't work for these small, insignificant things, but work for the greater thing. You see, if we could see with spiritual eyes what God sees in our life, he would say something similar to what C.S. Lewis said. He looks at our lives, he's like, you're making mud pies. This is what you're doing with your life. You're spending your life working for all these things that are not necessarily bad things, but man, there's so much more out there. And Jesus wants to give us more. And so here we are with all of our little things making our mud pies when Jesus wants to give us this. He wants to give us this. A beautiful picture of playing at the beach. Jesus doesn't want us to work for this food that perishes, but for food that lasts. Let us not work for a lesser thing, but for the greater thing, the joy that he calls us to. So why are you seeking Jesus? Legitimately ask that question. I mean, why are you here today or why are you watching online today? What is it that's driving you to Christ? And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know. I don't know why I'm seeking Jesus. Let me give you a couple things just to ask to see where your heart is and where your mind is when it comes to Christ. First is this. Are you seeing Jesus as the means to an end or do you see him as the end? You see, Jesus is not a key to, to open the door for us to walk through to get what we want. He's not a key. He's the king of the kingdom. We don't look at you and say, well, there's a little key. I'm going to use it in my life to just get whatever I want. God is not a pinata that we bash with our prayers and he has to spill out all the blessings we want. It's not how God works. Which leads to my second question I would ask. Examine your prayers. I don't care how frequent or infrequent you pray. Just look at your prayers and it will tell you why you're seeking Jesus. If you pray once a week, what do you pray about in that week? If you pray every day, four times a day, five times a day, what are you praying about? Are all of your prayers centered around your life and your kingdom and your way and your will being done? Or do you look and you're like, man, I'm really praying that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done. That he would use me to be a part of what he's doing in this culture. Or are you saying, no, it's my world, bless my way. Look at your prayers. It'll show you, it'll legitimately show you why you're seeking Jesus. Now, we're asking the question, why do we seek Jesus? But we haven't yet answered the question that's probably a more important question is, why should we even seek Jesus? Like, why should I want to come to Jesus and why should I want to seek him in the first place? Like, what is the right motive to drive me? What's the right reason that I should be coming to him? Well, that's what Jesus spends the rest of this time talking about. The rest of this passage, this is what Jesus is going to help correct them and us to seek him. So why should we seek Jesus? And it's all wrapped around this truth that he is the bread of life. That's why we should seek Jesus. And that sounds 
super religious and super holy. Like, we'll throw that on a mug and a t-shirt. This is a bread of life, right? What does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean that he's the bread of life? If we're going to claim it and say, this is why you should seek him, why does that even matter? And, And what is Jesus saying when he makes that statement? Well, for us in English, we have just one word for life. Life, right? Like, just life. But at this time, they had two words in the Greek, which is what the New Testament's written in. They had the word bios, which is where we get our word biology from. And that word biology is the physical life that we have, the tangible life, heart beating, like this is our biology, bios life. They had that word to talk about your physical existence, okay? Then they had another word for life called zoe. That's what the Greek word was. Now that's the quality of life that you want. That's the satisfied heart and satisfied life that you are longing for. You want to take a guess at which one Jesus uses here when he says he's the bread of life? It's Zoe. It's the quality of life. It's the abundant life. It's the fulfilled life. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what is he talking about? He's talking about the quality of life, a satisfied life. And there is a big difference between Zoe life and a bios life. It's the difference between existing and living. If you have the bios life, you're just existing. You're just here. You have no purpose. You have no joy. You have no satisfaction. You're just existing. You're here. That's not what Jesus is offering. And sadly enough, I would say that just existing, that's how we would define hell. Hell is just existing for all of eternity. Every one of us have an eternal soul that will spend it in heaven, in life, or in hell and death, but it will go on forever. It's the reality. And Jesus in this moment is not saying, I offer you an eternal existence where you'll just be around forever. No, nobody wants that. That's a terrible thing. What Jesus is talking about here is not eternal existence, but eternal life. That you would have joy and satisfaction, no longer have a hungry and thirsty soul, but be fulfilled in your life. And when Jesus is making these claims... The crowd knows exactly what Jesus is saying, what exactly Jesus is pushing them to do. Because their response in this passage is, okay, then how do we get this bread? How do we find this? That's what he says. He's, he's okay, if you're saying you're going to give us this Zoe life, this satisfied life, how do we get it? Where do we get it from? And that's where Jesus just starts to unfold the gospel to them. And he does it in several places. But at the very beginning, they, they ask in verse 28, you know, what are the works that we have to do to get this bread? And Jesus starts with the first step of the gospel in verse 29. And he answered them and he said, this is the work that you should be doing. To believe in him who he has sent. To believe in him. You see, we think, oh, there's works I got to do. Like, give me the list. And as long as I can keep these 10 commandments, then I've got to shoe in and Jesus is going to accept me. And God is going to have favor on me if I do these things. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'll transform your life. Absolutely, that's going to come. I do that. But it starts with believing in me. That you believe in me. That's the first work that you do. And you're like, how does belief work? I don't know, but it just is. Jesus says it is, right? It's both. When we believe, and honestly, that's probably some of the greatest work that we will ever do. The battles of belief that we have in our life day in and day out is probably the greatest work that we will ever do to love and serve the Lord. To believe in him. Jesus says that here. Believe in me. 
If you want this bread, believe. But then second, he tells us it's a gift. It's through grace that these things are given. He says it in verse 33 that he gives life to the world. It doesn't say, and you will earn life. Everyone can earn the life if you do these things. No, he says, believe and I will give it to you. I'll give it to you. This is the grace of God. You see, the gospel doesn't say that you should earn your salvation. And it isn't something that you achieve in your life. It's something that you receive because it's a gift from God. You don't look to yourself to trust in yourself. I'm going to work hard enough and I'm going to get this. No, it's something that Jesus came from heaven and earth to extend to us and to give it to us. This is the gospel. Believe and know that it's a gift from God. He is the founder and the finisher of our faith. It all begins and ends with him. And so we, we look to the grace of God, not to ourself. And Jesus also with this belief and with this grace in this passage, he gives us assurance. In verse 37, Jesus says, those have believed and have received this grace, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Some of us deeply need to hear this truth because our, our salvation and what we believe is based on our works and so we live a life that is fearful of losing our salvation all the time. I've sat down and I've met with people and counseled people that are like, pastor, can you lose your salvation? And that's not the right question. When you ask that question, the question you're really asking is, can God the Father lose one of his children? No, the Father will never lose any of his children. He won't. Jesus in this moment is saying, I will never cast you out. Well, right, well, what about this sin? I know I believed in him, but what about this sin? And what about this mistake? And what did I do? He will never cast you out. You see, a lot of times we look at our salvation and we think our salvation is like an egg that we have to carry in our hand. We have to carry it around and we got to hope that the, the pressures and the stress in our lives and the sin of our lives don't put so much pressure that it cracks the egg and we lose our salvation. Or we got to hope that we can walk a good enough life that we don't stumble and it fall out of our hands and now we've lost our salvation. You see, our, our salvation, the gospel, is not in our hands. It's in his hand. And what Jesus is saying is, you'll never be cast out. It's not by your works that you are saved, but my works. And so come to me and believe in me. You'll find the bread of life. Now I've heard people argue and they're like, Ryan, you can't say that. If you tell people that their salvation is all wrapped up in Jesus, then they'll just live like crazy lives and they'll live in all this sin. And, and so you have to preach fear. And, 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 and if people are afraid of losing their salvation, they'll follow Christ so much more closely, which I just don't believe is true. I think there's a much more powerful motivator than fear. And I think it's love. When you love somebody, you will serve them and follow them faithfully. I love and I serve my wife, not because I'm afraid she's going to leave me, but because I care for her. I'm not trying to do 10 things in a day to be like, please don't leave me, please don't leave me. Oh, don't leave me, please don't. No, that's not what I'm doing. I love her. And because I love her, I live for her. And if you truly love Jesus, you will not love the things that he hates. You won't. You're not gonna be okay with the sin that's in your life that you're like, I'm just gonna coddle this, which Jesus came to die for. You won't do it. 
So I think there's a much more powerful motivator. It's love for Jesus. And we love because he first loved us. He loved us. And this is what this passage is telling us. That he extends this invitation of the gospel to us because he loves us. It's for the world. Did you see that in verse 33? He gives life to the world. And then in verse 40, he says again that everyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes shall have eternal life. That everyone means everyone. That world means the whole world. Anyone who would look and believe can have eternal life. We gotta look to Jesus. Now, the question is, with this invitation of the gospel that Jesus extends to us, how will we respond to it? We've examined our heart. Why are we seeking Jesus? Okay, maybe I've been off. Maybe I didn't do the, the certain things the way that I should do. But man, okay, I want to seek Jesus. He is the bread of life. I want to find this bread of life. I want to receive. I want to believe, right? This is the invitation that he gives us. In verse 35, he's extremely clear. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The two things that Jesus highlights there in verse 35 is come to me and believe in me. You see, the belief aspect is the, the reflex of the heart to God's call. That you would confess your sins and trust and believe in him for your salvation. The come portion of this is the daily application for us as believers to trust in him and to follow him and to come to him for our daily thirst that he would fill us up again. This is what leads us to pray. This is what leads us to seek Jesus. This is what leads us to be a part of a Christian community. This is what leads us to get into a small group and talk about God's word and pray together because we're coming to him individually and corporately. We're believing in him individually and corporately. This is what God is inviting us to do. So what are you gonna do with this invitation? How will you respond? Now there's three ways in this passage you see people respond. And I, it's a blanket statement, but I'm willing to say that everybody in this room and online will respond in one of these three ways today to this truth that Jesus is the bread of life and the invitation to come and to believe in him. And the first we see in verses 41 and 42, look back in that passage. This is the first response. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say he comes down from heaven? You see, the first response is resentment. Jesus says, I'm the all satisfying one. I'm the son of God that came from heaven to earth. I'm the king, I'm the Lord that you should submit your life to. And when you submit your life to, you will find life. And one of our responses is resentment to say, no, Jesus, no. That's not where I'm gonna find life. I'm gonna find life in all these other places. That's where I'm really gonna find my satisfaction. And what we do is when we don't wanna see Jesus the ultimate thing that we need and our ultimate satisfaction, what we'll start to do is we'll make excuses of why we can't believe in Jesus. And that's what they do. Hey, isn't this the guy whose mother is Mary and Joseph, you know, that's his father? Like, how can he say he comes from heaven? And they start coming up with excuses. Some of you have excuses in your mind right now that you've been saying for years. This is why I can't believe in Jesus. 
I don't understand dinosaurs. I don't understand how the whole world flooded. I don't understand all these things, so I can never believe until I have full understanding. That's not how the gospel works. You come and you believe in Jesus for what you know. And he'll sort out the rest. And if he is God, then all these things we think are impossible are possible for him. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. He can do what he wants to do. And so don't come with resentment towards Jesus saying, no, I will do it better. Because what we'll find is an empty heart and an empty soul where we will just exist in nothingness. We won't have the bread of life. That's the first response. You can resent Jesus today for these words that he speaks. You can. Second response is you can reject Jesus completely and turn away from him. And verse 66 in John 6 says this. After this, many of his disciples, now don't rush past that word too quickly because this is no longer just crowd. These are disciples that have followed Jesus around for a while. Many of them, not a few, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him and no longer walked with him. People that have heard Jesus teach and see Jesus do miracles, and now their response is, man, this is a tough saying. Now, why is this a tough saying? Well, verse 60 tells us that it's a tough saying. He says, many of the disciples, when they heard what Jesus said, said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it, right? What made this a hard saying? I encourage you in your small group, you can read the passage in between, but I just want to highlight where Jesus ends up moving this conversation to. Verse 53 of John 6. Jesus, as he continues to teach on the bread of life, he finally looks at them and he says to them in verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life and I will raise up on the last day. That is a hard saying. (laughs) That's weird, right? Like the disciples were probably doing great with what Jesus was saying up until this point. They're like, yes, Jesus, let's go. You just created all this bread. You fed all these people. Now you're talking about the bread of life. Yes, this is fantastic. We got the masses here. Let's let's keep going. And then Jesus is like, and yeah, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, well, what? What What just happened? I I think he said we need to eat his fish, the fish from yesterday, the leftover fish. Yeah, we need to get that fish back out. That's really what Jesus is saying right now. And then Jesus leans in a little further. He's like, no, and drink my blood. Okay, Jesus, it just got worse. Like, I, I don't know what to do with that. Like, how do we talk that away? It's just a hard moment. I mean, it didn't happen. But you got to think, if you were a follower, if you were one of the close disciples of Jesus, everything within you in this moment would want to be like, to the, to the masses, to the crowd, be like, all right, time out. It's uh, time for an intermission. Thank you all for being here today. Jesus is just a little tired. He doesn't know what he's saying right now. Like, you remember that miracle yesterday? He just fed all those thousands of people. Last night he walked on water. You guys remember those miracles, right? Like, he's just exhausted. He's tired. Let's give Jesus a break. Uh, We'll have intermission. We have out in the lobby, we've got bread and loaves left over from yesterday and some fish. So you guys can go eat some of that. And we'll be back in just a little bit. And they come over like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying? Eat your flesh and drink your blood. Like, this is weird, Jesus. Can you choose some different words? But that's not what Jesus did in that moment. I mean, he left them with a hard saying. Have any of you ever felt this way? I mean, you read the Bible and you're just like, 
Man, that's a hard saying. Yeah. Jesus, what are you telling me to do? No, 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 Jesus, that's not what the world says. That's not what the culture says. I can't do that. That's a hard saying, Jesus. Like, what are you going to do when that happens? Because if it hasn't happened in your life yet, it will happen. When you read the Bible and you're just like, that's a hard saying. Then you can choose like some of these disciples did to reject Jesus and to walk away. You can. And honestly, that's what the enemy wants for you most. He wants you to believe your doubts and to doubt your beliefs. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to believe your doubts and doubt your beliefs. But what faith in Christ leads us to do is to believe our beliefs and to doubt our doubts. And that's exactly what we find the disciples do. His close 12. Verse 67, this is the third response. They received Jesus. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Do you wanna reject and walk away? Do you wanna resent Jesus? You wanna do this? And in verse 68, Simon Peter speaks up and he's always the first one to speak up and says too much, but if you say enough stuff, eventually you'll get something right. And uh, in this moment, he finally gets something right. Simon Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, whom shall we go? Now this statement right here is a weighty statement. And I think it's a statement that he thought about in that moment. Lord, to, to whom shall we go? He's looking at his life and he's like, man, I've lived life. I've evaluated it. Where am I gonna go to find eternal life? Where am I gonna go to find bread? Like this. Am I gonna find it in my job? I mean, Peter, if you look at his story, when he left his job behind, it was the largest catch of fish that he had ever had. He was a fisherman. The largest catch he had ever had in his whole career. And Jesus is like, yeah, I want you to leave that behind and follow me. And, and Peter's like, it's better than that. I had more money than I'd ever had. And it was better to leave that behind and to follow Christ. He's evaluating. He's looked around. Some of you have lived enough life and you've looked around and you've said, man, none of these areas satisfy me. Some of them were deep wells and I did it for years, but they never satisfied my soul. And that's what Peter's doing in this moment. Where are we gonna go? And then he says, you have the words of eternal life. (laughs) And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. These are our options to Jesus' invitation. There's no middle ground. There's no one in the middle. We receive or we reject. The disciples look around and say, you're the only place that we're gonna find Zoe, that we're gonna find eternal life, that we're gonna find meeting and satisfaction. And so we come to you so we would never hunger or thirst in our souls. Again, bow with me. Today, if you are here and you've heard this word and you can legitimately say that, man, I know I've been seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. I know he saved me in the past, but I've been kind of using him instead of loving him. When I give you just a moment to pray here in a second, would you just confess those sins to him and say, God, I I want to love you for you. I wanna see you as the end and the greatest treasure, not to use you as a means to the end, but to have you be the end of all of my life. 
and pray and repent and turn to the only one that can give you life, the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Don't run after the food that perishes, but the one that leads to eternal life. And for others of us here that hear these truths today and say, I've been running down all these avenues. I've never trusted Jesus, but today I need to. Then come to him, do exactly what he said. Do the works of God by believing in him and receive. Don't try to achieve your salvation, but receive it through the work of Christ. And know that if you trust and you believe in him, you confess those sins that he is faithful and just to forgive you and he will never cast you out ever. So do that, pray to him, confessing your sins and believing in him as the bread of life and he will save you. Church, let us do that now in this moment of silence. Let's pray and confess and pray and receive salvation. Pray now. Jesus, we thank you for your great love. The love that draws us in, the love that keeps us safe and secure, the love that extends to us grace. God, we thank you for that. And it's because of that love and it's because of that grace that we live in this life and we live in this freedom. It's because of this grace and the salvation that you have brought to us that we sing. You not only fill our souls, but you fill our mouths with your praises for you are praiseworthy. God, you have graciously given to us and so we turn around and graciously give to you and your kingdom and your work for your glory. Lord, I ask that this week we would live in the satisfying work of Jesus, eating and feeding on that bread of life for the glory of your name. And it's in your name that we pray.